0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle.
2: I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric
3: Balchunas. Eric, do you smoke marijuana? <laughs> not, not present tense. Okay. But sure. Um, definitely. I mean, I, I was in college in the 90s. There's a lot of interest in marijuana. Maybe you've noticed. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, y- you can just, you can feel it and you can tell. Uh, you can smell it yeah, sometimes, yeah. and other
2: times you can't smell it because it's a vaporizer. Right? Yeah, or it's
3: edible. In the ETF circuit, quote unquote, it comes up more. And is there a pot ETF? Was one of the top things that I would be asked about, just from people internally here, knowing that, you know that I'm the ETF guy. Like, hey, my wife is wondering, is there a pot ETF? For many, for a couple of years, that was a question I got a lot. And there are, yeah, now more than are. one.
2: And there was a big moment recently where Canada just legalized this nationally. So it's the first G7 country to legalize marijuana, recreational marijuana.
3: Not only that, several states in the United States are doing it, and obviously there's federal issues, but you could kind of feel the cat out of the bag to a degree, and I think this, a lot of people argue, it's like the end of prohibition. And I think it's a big deal when an industry goes from no sales or nothing, or an underground market comes to the surface, and now is all, you know, you can capture that in terms of a new industry. It's major.
2: So knowing all of that, Rachel Evans, Bloomberg News reporter, who we've teamed with multiple times, we asked her to go, go check this out for us. And she went up to Canada, did a little sleuthing. And this episode is, is all about Rachel uh, booting the ground, trying to figure out what's going on with marijuana ETFs. This week on Trillions, elevating your portfolio.
4: Hello. Hello. Could I possibly get a coffee from you guys? What kind
0: of coffee would you like? Can I get
4: a latte? Um, can you do a decaf for me? Decaf
0: latte? Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. Or double.
4: Uh, double would be good actually. And do you have any food? At first look, uh, the Cannabis and Coffee drink. Cafe in downtown Toronto isn't the most obvious choice for a business meeting. Luridly coloured bongs line the walls and leaflets promoting the pain-relieving benefits of weed dot the counter. But this is no ordinary rendezvous. I'm here to meet Christine Oram, Bloomberg's dedicated marijuana reporter, for a virtual tour of the companies and products that are thriving now that Canada's legalised weed. Hey Christine. Hello. How's it going? Good, good
1: to see you again. Good to see you.
4: Oh, Sorry, my hands are freezing. Oh, you're all good. Don't well, worry. It's <laughs> not too cold out there. No, it's though, not too bad. It was, uh,
1: it was much colder yesterday.
4: Unless you've been high as a kite for the last 12 months, you'll have seen, heard or read something about this nascent industry. Potstock's jumped a whopping 40% this year, but it's been a volatile ride, with as many lows as highs. But while you can now smoke away your losses with state-endorsed weed, Toronto and the rest of Ontario won't sell it from stores or cafes until next year much to the disappointment of my baristas. Yeah, so this is as close
3: as we can come to the cannabis and the coffee.
4: That is a beautifully depicted cannabis leaf. You guys are very clever. (laughs) Do you have a stencil for this? Yeah. Instead, Christine and I take a scroll through a government-run website called The Ontario Cannabis Store, the only place in Toronto where you can legally buy weed. Here, anyone over 19 can choose between... Sativa or indica strains of cannabis, pre rolled joints or oils, and compare prices across scores of different brands. It's about 10 Canadian dollars for a gram, roughly the amount needed for two joints, and you can buy up to 30 grams, about an ounce, at any one time.
1: There are a lot of rules where the logo, the company's logo can't be bigger than this giant THC warning sign, so they're really, and it has to be like plain packaging, they can't have. They're really restricted in like the colors and decoration they can, they can use, so it looks very blah. You're very restricted in what you can say about the product, so you can't say, our marijuana will make you feel amazing, or, you know, this will show people having a good time while smoking. And so how do you raise brand awareness? Well, where a lot of people are just uh, reportedly coming from the black market. They know a strain that they like. They're finding it in the store and buying it, and they don't care what, what company or what brand it's coming from.
4: Shopping for pot online is a strange experience. Antique illustrations of marijuana leaves jostle with warnings about health risks, and many of the most popular products have already sold out. The breadth of the market is certainly apparent, but so is the difficulty for both smokers and investors in differentiating between a bad trip and green gold. Enter exchange-traded funds.
1: There are, I think, 140 or so publicly traded cannabis companies, and that, that will very quickly be narrowed down to, you know, a dozen clear winners, right? So you're going to see a lot of consolidation, you're going to see some bankruptcies. Inevitably, I think these companies are not all going to survive. Rather than trying to guess who the winners and losers are going to be, to invest in a basket of stocks and just say, what I'm doing is I'm making a bet on the industry as a whole.
4: Hawkins started the world's first marijuana ETF in April 2017. The chief executive of Horizons ETFs has always been something of a maverick, specialising in the leverage and inverse products that inspire love or hate. So the controversy around a pot ETF held no fear.
5: The deviation in returns from peak to trough that we've seen on individual names is astronomical. It's just crazy. But when you own the ETF, you're owning part exposure to that and part exposure to this. It's still extremely volatile, but it's still more even-keeled standard deviation of returns on a relative basis.
4: I met Steve at his offices a few blocks from the coffee shop to learn how the Horizons Marijuana Life Sciences ETF came to life. A blog his company ran for investors kept throwing out requests for a pot ETF. So, in the fall of 2016 he set about making that dream reality. From the get-go, it was a challenge.
5: It was a very new um, precedent for me in you know, having launched you know, 50, 60 products um, over the past five years. Uh, this was something completely different we'd never seen before.
4: Did did anyone think you were a little bit nuts when you kind of came to them with this and said, you know what, we want to put marijuana stocks in an ETF?
5: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And that's why it was it was extremely sensitive subject matter. There's such a, a negative stigma at that point in time that was still associated with marijuana, even with the development of an approval of medical marijuana and how integrated into Canadians' lifestyle it was becoming. It, you know, it was there was a lot of silence on the other end of the phone lines when when you ask the question (laughs) and it's like all you could hear in the in the background was the wheels clicking and people thinking really you want to do this wow that's not something that we have traditionally ever done and you know we went through you know several layers of bureaucratic approval at every single third-party service provider we went to like you know it didn't just stop at the partner or if it really had to get escalated to their boss and then their boss
4: Eventually, he persuaded an indexer, custodian, and market maker to get on board. But Steve still needed buy-in from the Toronto Stock Exchange. The exchange had listed a handful of cannabis companies, but an ETF of those companies still made it squirm.
5: Even once we got all the third-party service providers lined up and the index providers done, and we have figured out how we're going to launch this and how we're going to manage it, then I had to go through a very long process with the TSX, normally with the TSX, it's pretty much a switch, and it's here's the information, here's our application, here's our filing fee. Thank you, Steve. We got all the documentation. Switches on. I, it was a many-week process okay. in dealing with the exchange, their lawyers and our lawyers, numerous conference calls, numerous discussions. There was a whole negotiation process,
4: but it was worth it. After eight months, Steve's fund which goes by the ticker HMMJ, launched with a wave of publicity.
5: I didn't want to be second. I wanted to be the world's first, and uh, we did accomplish that. In hindsight, we probably could have waited to 4.20 or something like that. I was that just going to say, it. what date was it they launched? But, you know, we were. We felt we were in competition with a group in the US that was trying to launch a similar product. Um, and from a timing perspective, if I had the approval, I wanted to go.
4: That fear didn't materialise. In the US, cannabis remains illegal under federal law, and wannabe issuers of pot funds have struggled to convince federally regulated companies, like banks, to supply back-office support.
0: Jeff Sessions, the U.S. Attorney General, is stepping down, apparently at the request of President Trump. Uh, This is a
4: huge moment for the cannabis industry. You might remember earlier this year, back in February or so, uh, Jeff Sessions uh, laid down the gauntlet on the cannabis industry. Uh, With Attorney General General Jeff Sessions now ousted, the cannabis industry has outlasted one of its most vocal foes. But the Trump administration probably won't budge overnight. Consequently, while there are a handful of pot ETFs in Canada, the U.S. has just one: the ETFMG Alternative Harvest ETF, which goes by the ticker MJ. Started life as a Latin American real estate fund, sidestepping the startup challenges that have plagued the ambitions of others.
5: It's it's very unfortunate for the U.S. cannabis industry that the government really hasn't been able to see the writing on the wall um, as we have in Canada and and Canada was the first G7 country to go recreational-approved, and I think there will be more to follow long before the U.S. Right now, we have the ability to go outside of Canada to put boots-on-the-ground operations to uh, export product into these companies or countries on a worldwide basis. So we're creating a globalization of the cannabis industry, and it's interesting that it's Canada that's driving it, not the U.S., and we have a significant competitive advantage Um, over the Americans right now. We've got a foothold.
4: But the winds of change may be blowing. More than 60% of Americans support legalisation. And more and more states are putting medical and even recreational use on the ballot. Some estimate that the US pot market could grow to 75 billion by 2030. And the global market could eventually be worth 150 billion. But for others the pot stock craze is just that, a craze that won't last long. That's the thinking of Jared Dillian, who ran the ETF desk at Lehman Brothers in 2008. Now editor of the Daily Dirtnap, a market newsletter, he's seen his fair share of bubbles and thinks the pot industry's potential is limited, even in the US.
5: Culturally, we have already reached peak acceptance of uh, marijuana. even though it's not completely legal, this is the highs in acceptance. The projections are understandable, you know, given how optimistic people are about how widespread or per- pervasive use of this stuff could get. People like to dream big in, in certain trades, and this is a trade where you can dream big. But the problem is, is that the stocks basically priced in all that growth almost immediately.
4: Valuations are certainly looking to the future. Tilray, which was worth $15 billion at the height of the pot stock rally, had only about $10 million in revenue last quarter. Steve concedes that there's a lack of hard data, but is bullish on the market over the long term.
5: This is an extremely rumour mill driven industry. There's no doubt about it. I've never seen anything like it from history. You know, you can have every stock down and then there's a little rumour about Coke and such and such or Pepsi and such and such or... Molson Coors and such and such, and that company stock is up 20% in literally five minutes. And and that has a waterfall effect to all the companies in the industry. You know, the, the industry is still new. There still isn't a lot of known quantitative facts with respect to how big the industry is going to grow from here with the recreational approval. And it'll be very, very interesting to see where this company stands when these cannabis companies have to do all their you know financial regulatory reporting and we actually start to see hard financial results that you know get introduced by the analysts on the street and, um, and what these companies are you know actually producing so um, if you want to invest in this space it's not for the faint of heart you need to check the batteries in your pacemaker and you have to look at it from my perspective as a long-term investment
0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ.
2: Okay, so let's come down off that high. Rachel, thanks for doing this trip to Canada for us.
4: Thanks for having me again.
2: So what have you learned about this space, both through the reporting for this podcast and and also leading up to it?
4: I think what I really took away from this is kind of like what potential and yet also how hard it is to actually estimate how big that potential is going to be.
2: Yeah, It's like reality versus potential. right? Exactly.
4: And that's everybody's trading off the potential at the moment. And that's why you're seeing or you saw, I guess, this huge pot stock rally earlier in the year. But talking to kind of some people around the industry, it really depends on how that translates into actual sales of weed now that weed is legal in Canada and how that translates into revenue uh, I thought it was really interesting stat that I mentioned in the report Tilray had uh, a market capitalization of 15 billion at its peak but its revenue last quarter was only 10 million I mean that shows you kind of like how much these things have been inflated in terms of their valuation mm-hmm. and we won't actually start to see kind of like financial reporting until next year that's when we're going to start to really see that the rubber hit the road as it were and see whether Some of these valuations really hold up.
3: Right. I have a question for you. Well, one thing I thought was interesting was you you said this quote: "Pain relieving benefits." And to me, this is one of these big points because if this can be put forth as a substitute for the for opioids, which is a huge problem here. It almost feels like you can maybe win over even the most conservative people. Did, did that come up a lot? Is that a big
4: yeah. point? I mean, this was the, the, the topic of, of the leaflets in, in the cafe I went to, CBD. Um, th- this is kind of like the property within cannabis that allows you to kind of like ease away some of those pains. And yeah, the opioid point really did come up. I was chatting with one of the baristas, a guy called Joe, and he was telling me that he used to be addicted to opioids. He had some after he had, a, I think it was a car crash, he said, and he was addicted to opioids for about five to seven years. Then he started smoking marijuana, and as he said, it wasn't so much a gateway drug as an exit drug for him that allowed him to come off the harder opioids.
3: That's powerful, uh, because that will win over the people who just look at it as a good time. Still not legal
2: in the U.S. Everywhere. I mean, certain places, right? But you can still invest. It is legal
3: to invest. (laughs) A great ticker here. MJ, right? Yeah, so MJ is the one in the U.S. Let me give you a few caveats here. First of all, the way MJ happened was a little uh, unusual. It was a ticker called Lair, which was a Latin America real estate. And it was from a white label issuer who I guess had ultimate power and decided we don't like what Lair's doing. It doesn't make money. Let's just switch it over, the strategy, the name and the ticker, everything. And we'll make it a pod ETF. And I think it was last December, you just woke up, and I think it was the day after Christmas. Like, it was I now, used to own Latin American real yeah, estate, and now I own marijuana? The good, nobody really owned Lair, so there probably was maybe <laughs> the, the guy's family were, was in it, maybe at best. And then MJ immediately, I think it got a couple hundred million right off the bat. There was definitely, it tapped into to, to some demand. Now, there's since then, uh, there's issue with the, the company's custodian. This company's also uh, dealing with a, a lawsuit, multiple, I think, and... This company's always kind of got this sort of cloud over it. And I just think that's important to know here with this. Cloud, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, at this time, MJ is a ticker. It trades. It tracks the index. Although, we actually looked at MJ. And it does trail the index by about 10% over the past year. The reason is, is because their custodian wasn't letting them do securities lending, so it wasn't able to make any money back. And Tilray was so hard to buy when they tried to rebalance into it that they were. The index doesn't have to actually buy stocks, and it's like lives in a vacuum. The ETF was unable to buy Tilray fast enough uh, to match the index, so it lags a little bit. But those are just some caveats to know. But it, because it's the only one, uh, people overlook almost all that.
4: One thing interesting to kind of like just chime in on that is with HMMJ, the the one in Canada, I got talking to Steve a bit about who owns that. And it was really interesting to me. I think he said like 70% is owned by Canadians, but the other 30% is owned by non-Canadians. They get some of that data through their transfer agent because they have to report it in, in Canada, which I thought was fascinating. He said that they've seen buyers from the UK from Israel, from Asia. So there's clearly interest in buying HMMJ, not just within Canada, but actually externally as well.
3: Um, and you know, HMMJ, the one in Canada that was the first to market in the world, um, what was interesting about that one is it came out and it obviously, I think it got, I don't know, I want to say five eight 800000000 million pretty quickly. And then it, it fell. Um, it came out after a long run in pot, but then after the ETF came out, it dropped. And normally... When a new ETF comes out, especially a high flyer, goes down, people leave. They don't stick around. But nobody left. The asset's stuck stuck there. And it's highly unusual. People forgot about it. (laughs) That's why pot investors may be the best investors if you're an issuer. They either forgot or, again, they're tapping into people who believe in the story for the long term. And I think that that's just an interesting data point about HMMJ.
4: And that's something that Steve brought up of Horizons as well. I mean, he was saying that, you know, this is a very volatile play. If you're going into pot stocks, even in an ETF form, you need to be very well aware that you could go very far down as well as very high. So you need to be thinking about that when you invest. And his, his thing is, you know, check your pacemaker. You've got to be in there for the long haul, right?
3: On that note, in terms of hanging in there during volatility, I thought what Christine said, the reporter from Canada that 140 publicly traded cannabis names will be narrowed down to a dozen right the consolidation that etf is not is could be really helped out by MA, um especially if you see that kind of consolidation um from especially these big tobacco companies start buying up these small pot stocks um that was a what, good what, point what will that look like uh in the
2: etf then as that starts to happen as an analyst how do you look at that
3: well when you have these small etfs like um that a stock could go up 50% in a day You have no way knowing that. Targets are the ones that benefit, right? So uh, we would see a big bump in the ETF, although diversification helps you obviously in downturns, but it also limits your up. So you wouldn't feel all that 50%. You might feel like might lift the ETF like 6%, but that's a... That's better than not.
4: (laughs) And that's the thing. I mean, Christine also mentioned that, you know, there'll there'll be some people out there that will be the, you know, the equivalent of the Apple investors. Oh, I was there in the beginning. I owned Apple. But, you know, and people will be doing that with certain pot stocks. But if you want to take a long-term play on on pots and you don't know which of the the companies out there are going to be targets or acquirers, then you might as well think about this from a kind of broad diversification perspective. I mean, that's what an ETF does, right?
3: What I liked about this was the physical nature of it. And I sometimes think of pot and Bitcoin. They've always been linked to like you know stuff that's been a craze in the last five years. But Bitcoin, you there's no to stores. You can't touch it. It's not used really as currency. Here, you went to stores. There's there's people working there. You can buy it. Did it's a did thing. It sh- yeah. Yeah. Did it change for you, like, actually seeing it literally there uh, physically?
4: I mean, the thing in Ontario is, is that it's kind of like in transitionary phase, right? I mean, you've still, the only place you can legally buy weed is online in Ontario. So that's kind of strange, like, to go through a government website and, and buy pot. Like, it feels sort of, you know, like you're stepping over a, a, you know, a boundary there. But, I mean, you could still buy it from dispensaries that were on the streets that were selling it illegally. I think they are cracking down on that because now, obviously, weed equals tax dollars. So that's something they want to kind of push out. But I thought it was really interesting. I mean, the the, co- the the coffee shop I went to was called Cannabis and Coffee. People are ready for when weed is available to be sold as edibles in coffee shops, and they want to have a dispensary also in that in that coffee shop upstairs. Uh, then you can actually buy it, you know, in a paper bag and take it home with you.
2: As as it stands now, you can buy specific ETFs that are in this sector. Right. I'm also interested in will will th- these stocks. Or aspects of the ETF enter into broader products, so that it's like you just get a little hint of
3: marijuana somewhere in a larger product. Do you think that's going to happen? Of course, the, the 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 if you own a big mainstream ETF like VTI, the total market, um, you know, you're going to feel a little this. The problem is uh, the is index is that like is, a contact high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you yeah, you're like maybe ten yards away from the smoke because. Uh, the problem with these big indexes and these fledgling industries like robotics or pot or any of these, it takes so, these indexes are very conservative with when they take a stock in. It's got to have all kinds of requirements. You miss a lot of the toddler growth spurts. And again, you also miss the volatility. And that's a payoff. So I, I would say that, yeah, if you held just regular stuff, you'll eventually feel pot. But you will probably have missed a lot of the um, you know teenage years or toddler years of, of the growth of these companies uh, that you would can get in the specific ETFs.
2: Okay, so Canada's done this. The U.S., obviously there are different states from the Colorados and Californias and Oregons and Washingtons and now Missouri, uh, of all places. Like, so we've seen this evolution. Obviously, there's federal laws that are different than state laws. How do you see the investing landscape changing in the U.S.?
4: that is the big question that I think is on everybody's mind in Canada Uh, Canadians have an advantage here right they are first out of the gates but there's a certain level of scepticism or I guess caution perhaps about what happens when the US does come online and one of the ways in which you know you've seen sort of Canadian companies listing uh, both on the Canadian stock exchange and on the US stock exchanges is is providing that they don't have businesses in the US so that means that when we do see legalisation come through in, in the US that could put them at a disadvantage in actually taking advantage of that Uh, we currently have 10 states I believe that have fully recreational legalized uh, cannabis and I think it's 32 or 33 where you have medical marijuana legalized that I believe puts about 70% of the American population in a state where cannabis is legal in some respect that's huge But you've got to remember that from a federal perspective, it is still illegal. And the Trump administration has definitely been against uh, marijuana. You know, you've seen that through a number of speeches kind of coming out from them over the last few months. So it really depends on whether, you know, after the midterms, we see a shift in tone and we start to see a move towards full legalization. Or we could see something coming through from Congress. There's an act there that could pass. It's called the Strengthening the Tenth Amendment Through Entrusting States Act. Which I mean, have a
3: good
2: that needs memory. a nickname. Yeah. The nickname is that
4: needs states. an Obamacare. <laughs> oh
0: man, <laughs> it's of course states. it does.
4: Yeah, very clever. Um, but that is supposed <laughs> to give uh, you know sort of states, states the confidence to have their own uh, rules on cannabis and not worry too much about the kind of federal illegality.
3: There's also little things like I think New York they stopped uh, arresting people, right? If you smoke it on the streets, and I live in Philly, I'm telling you, I smell it way more. People are just not as. It's just. The cat's out of the bag. It just, fe- I don't know, I decide it just feels like it.
4: We have a code for that in my house. We say, smells like Colorado. <laughs>
3: Rachel Evans, thanks for joining us on Trillions.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Wepper Show. He's at Eric Balchunas, and you can find Rachel at Rachel Evans underscore NY. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts.
3: Bye.